Good morning. There we go. Well, um, I want to say, first off, I'm grateful for this worship team. So I, I, I so look forward to our worship team and very, very grateful for them. So I want to say, um, if this is your first time here, um, welcome to Firewell Bible Fellowship. Uh, we know that you have a choice of where you can worship in the morning, and we're uh, very grateful that you have chosen today to come worship with us. Um, now, if this is your first time at Firewell Bible Fellowship, I'm not the person you normally see up here. So uh, Pastor Adrian is doing some traveling, and so he is... Um, was out of town and just got back in today, and so he had asked me a few weeks ago um, to, be, to cover the sermon today and to be able to preach, um, and I am very honored and grateful for that chance to do that. Now, for those of you who I have not met, or again, if this is your first time here, my name's Kevin Davis, and um, I'm one of our elders here at Firewell Bible Fellowship. And my wife, Jeanette, and I have been here for over 17 years, and for us, uh, this church is home. And so we're very grateful to be here. And um, I am also one of our teachers here on Sunday mornings as well. And as we do teaching on Sunday morning, thank you, on, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights as well. Now, Pastor Adrian has been in the book of Ephesians uh, the last several Sundays, and we'll be picking back up in the book of Ephesians next Sunday. Now, um, here's an observation. You know, as, as, as a follower of Christ, I know that I look at some of the things that I see in our culture today, and I'm perplexed, and I'm heartbroken, and maybe I'm angry. You, you know, not angry, maybe I'm mad. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, we, we get mad sometimes when we see and we hear what is going on in our world today. It is not difficult at all for any of us to look around and ask ourselves the following question. God, when are you going to do something about this? Now, I'm sure at some times in our own lives, we have either thought this, or maybe we've even prayed these words, whether it's for our individual situation or for our culture as a whole. And we might be tempted when we look at the change that has taken place in our culture the last few years, and I do think that we are in agreement that our culture has changed the past few years. Do we agree with that? Yeah, there has been a significant change that has taken place. And we wonder, how did this happen? How did our culture become the way it is today? Perhaps we expect God to reveal to us how all of this has happened. Now, this is not a new concept, nor is it something that is foreign to the Bible. Now, here's the deal. We are a Bible church, and because we are a Bible church, we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages from the Bible. So uh, I want you to keep your fingers nimble this morning. So we're going to be moving around a little bit, and we're going to go exploring for truth this morning. Now, before we get into the text this morning, I wanted to share a few statistics with you today. Now, according to the Pew Research Center, in 1990, 85% of Americans identified as Christian. In 2021, the same survey, 63% of Americans identified as Christian. The most recent issue of AARP magazine had an article that stated that the amount of severe depression reported among adolescents 
has increased 53% between 2010 and 2020. And undoubtedly, these numbers have gotten significantly worse since COVID. In a separate survey in 2021, among adults ages 18 to 29, 5% say that their gender is different from their sex that was assigned to them at birth. And finally, um, a Gallup poll done earlier this year, it asked Americans if they believed in God. Not necessarily Jesus Christ, but just in some God. And the percentage of Americans who answered yes, that they do believe in a God of some sort, was the lowest since Gallup started conducting the poll back in 1944. Now, while it can be good for a believer to acknowledge this shift that our culture has taken, indeed, it would be wrong for us to simply ignore the sinful path that our society has been on, we do have to be careful that it does not alter our faith in our Creator or shake the faith of another brother or sister. So our first passage this morning is we're going to go back to the Old Testament to the prophet Habakkuk. And we're going to be reading out of chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And the prophet says the following, How long, Lord, shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Now, as we look at the words of Habakkuk, just a, a little background here. First off, Habakkuk was a prophet in the kingdom and around the end of the 7th century B.C. And after a period of reform instated by King Josiah several years earlier, the nation had unfortunately reverted back to its formal sinful ways, causing the prophet to question God himself about why he was allowing his people to live habitually in sin. He was wanting God to do something, and God would indeed do something. But in verse 2, Habakkuk comes very close to accusing God of being indifferent to what was going on in their culture at the time. Let us always remember that God is holy and God is never indifferent to sin. As people, we want to elevate some sins as worse than others. God is holy, and he is never indifferent or complacent with sin, and neither should we. The following commentary comes from Pro Professor Elizabeth Ochtemeyer, and she sums up this about Habakkuk. Habakkuk's principal question is, when will God fulfill his purpose and bring in his reign of justice? righteousness and peace on earth. When is the kingdom of God going to come? Now, perhaps we wonder the same thing today. The following are statistics from 2021 from um, opendoors.usa. And they report that there's over 360 million Christians living in places today where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. You see, what we're getting to do here today, gathering together as believers in Christ, I know at times we take it for granted, maybe even as a chore to get up here, we have millions of people who are dying for the right to do this. 
this very thing that we're doing this morning. Approximately 6,000 Christians killed for their faith last year. Over 5,000 churches and other Christian buildings vandalized or attacked. Approximately 4,800 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Now keep in mind, these numbers are just the ones that are documented, which means the numbers are actually much higher. Now, as a believer, one of my great challenges is that when I see a society or a culture that is increasingly and intentionally defiant towards God, is for me to see the situation as God wants me to see it, not necessarily as I want to see it. Now, we see an example of this in Luke chapter 9, verse 53 through 56. But the people did not receive him, him being Jesus, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Hey, Jesus, we'll take care of the sinful people for you. We got it, Lord. But verse 55 is very short. It simply says that he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them. No, John and James, Jesus did not want you to call fire down on heaven and consume the Samaritans. Now, we may laugh at this, but if I am honest, is that not at times something I've wanted to do? See, there are times when I see a, sin, a situation and I want to respond to it as James and John do here and not as my Lord wants me to respond to it. John MacArthur sums it up well when he says that the Lord would not retaliate with force against them, nor did he even revile them verbally. He had come to save, not to destroy, and so his response was grace rather than destructive fury. So what do we do as believers? When we see a wayward family member or a coworker, how should we respond to a culture that is consistently endorsing a set of beliefs that is contrary to the teachings of our Lord and Savior? Again, this is not something that's foreign to the servants of the Lord. We read the following from the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, as a believer in Christ, I don't need to be looking to my culture to determine what is good. I don't need to go around and asking someone else if something is right or wrong. Why? Because I am a believer in Christ, and that foundation is built upon the Word of God. And the Word of God will tell me what is good. It will tell me what is wrong. And even if I don't agree with it, it's still right or it's still wrong. See, God's Word doesn't change. Culture does. Governments do. But the Word of God doesn't change. The following comes from the Compact Bible Commentary, and it says that those who pervert God's evaluation 
of what is good by calling evil good or heading down a path to judgment. God is merciful, and God is a God of grace, but God is also a God of judgment. And I know that's something that, that's very, not very popular in the church today, and I'm very much aware of that. But his word doesn't change. But let us remember that God is the ultimate judge, not us. God is the ultimate judge. Now, we look, move over to the New Testament now. And a couple different verses we'll be looking at. And first off, just a reminder that in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus had told his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world. Now, that is a true statement. We, as adopted children of God, we are the light of the world. But to have a fuller understanding of Jesus' meaning, we also look at the Apostle John, 1 John 1, 5. And he tells us the following, that God himself is the foundation or the source of our light. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Again, from John 8:12, it says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do we live in a dark world? Yeah, indeed we do. We live in a dark world. And we go back to the book of John, from John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Theologian D. Edmund Hebert describes it this way. He says, just as light reveals and purifies, so by his very nature God illuminates and purifies those who come to him. His nature determines the condition for fellowship with him. See, when we look at culture's definition of what is good and what is right, do we acknowledge that the people living in our culture need the light that can only come from the Son of Man and thereby come through us as his adopted children? See, it can be tempting and easy to roundly criticize those living a life that is contrary to the gospel. I've done that. But see, those people who live contrary to the gospel, here's a question we should ask ourselves. Does our heart break for them? We know the Apostle Paul's heart broke for his fellow unbelieving Jews who had rejected the Messiah from Romans 9-2. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. See, Paul looked upon unbelievers and their willful rebellion towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and his heart broke. Does mine. Does our heart break when we see a culture that is living a life contrary to the gospel? 
See, here's a little reminder for myself. God did not choose me, predestine me, die for me, save me, justify me, and sanctify me because I was somehow worthy of his calling. See, the opposite is actually true. This is imperative if we understand the gospel correctly. If we're going to be able to share the gospel properly with people, we need to understand that, yes, God loves us, but I'm not worthy of his calling. And I'm not worthy of his calling because God is holy and I am not. We go to the Ecclesiastes 7.20 where it says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. There is no one who does what is right and never sins. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3, where it says that the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. But guess what? All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. But see, man's sin and his wickedness is not merely a recent occurrence. We go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, only evil continually. So what are we saying? First off, we have established that there is none who were truly good, not when compared to a holy God. Second, we have verified through Scripture that we, as His chosen, that is, His adopted children, we are the light of the world and we are called to shine. And thirdly, we know that we live in a dark culture. We live in a dark world and one that appears to be getting darker and darker. So, maybe it's time that I quit asking God when he's going to do something, and instead I acknowledge what God did 2,000 years ago by sending his only son, one who knew no sin, to be the sacrifice, the only sacrifice to pay the penalty for my sins. We read from Paul in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, and he tells us that because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. And again from Paul in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So maybe what I should be asking is what does God want me to do? See, I, I, I'm an adopted child of God. The Holy Spirit dwells inside me. I'm called to shine. So maybe I need to ask God, what does he want me to do? When I see the darkness that is enveloping our schools, our leaders, and sometimes, sad though it is, even some of our churches, what does God want me to do?
Number one, love those who are hard to love. Luke 6.35 tells us, but to love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Dr. Dr. David Jeremiah sums it up with the following. He says that love is the power that moves us to respond to someone's needs with what? With no expectation of reward. Now see, this is not something that comes naturally, okay? Um, However, since I am a new creation in Christ, and I have his Holy Spirit dwelling in me, it is possible to love those who are hard to love. Number two, encourage our brothers and sisters. You see, one thing that is very upsetting to our Creator and our Savior is when his own children began to go after each other, and they harshly criticize one another, especially when it is done in a public format for all the world to see. We read the following from the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 10. He says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We also go to Paul, Galatians 5, 13. It says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, this right here, serving one another in love, this should be the mark of the church. Pastor Adrian last Sunday had talked about the big C church and the little C church, and the the big C church is the bride of Christ, right? And the little C church is the local church. Firewell Bible Fellowship is the local church. This should be a mark of Firewell Bible Fellowship. We should serve one another in love. This should be something that we aspire to, but... We can only accomplish this when we rely on Him, our Creator, our Savior, and when we do so in unity. This is something that the culture of our own day can see and be impacted by. Encourage your brothers and sisters and serve them in love. I'm going to kind of add a little something here that was revealed to me as I was doing my study this week, and I was, I was preparing one night at home, and um, I was going over the sermon, and, and I looked at number one, and it said, love those who are hard to love. And then I, I got to number two, and it said, well, encourage your brothers and sisters. And then it came to me, sometimes the people that are hard to love are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that's a shock to anybody that goes to a church. But, um, you know, because as, we are a family. We agree with that? Yes, we are a family. We are the adopted children of God. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with parents, and I'll, I'll say, well, how's your daughter? How's your son? Oh, I want to strangle them. And I'm like, okay, well, all right. And so, 
But, but, but sometimes that's how we feel about our biological family. Well, guess what? That's sometimes how we feel about our spiritual family. We're going to have disagreements. And one way we can respond to that is, I have a disagreement, well, I'll just leave the church, and I'll just go find another church. And then when you have a disagreement with that church, then I'm going to go to another church. And by golly, I'm going to find a church somewhere where I don't have disagreements. Well, guess what? We are adopted children of God, but we're still sinners. And God's not okay with us continuing to sin. He wants to work through it. But if he's working on that person, everybody's like, that person? He's working on me as well. So whatever's going on, we need to love those who are hard to love, and we need to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. And number three, we need to be a light that shines today and tomorrow. Although they may not know it, most people are living in darkness. There should be something in our words, in our deeds, that brightly displays the light that has been given to us by Christ himself. Our final verse this morning comes from the Apostle Matthew, chapter 5, verse 16, where he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do worship you, Lord, and we praise you because you are worthy, Father. You are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords, and you are so good to us, Father. And Father, I want to thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you for his broken body. I thank you, Father, for forgiving me of my sins. I thank you for grace, and I thank you for mercy. I thank you, Lord, for Firewell Bible Fellowship. I thank you, Lord, that we have a building to meet in, that we are allowed to gather together here today, Lord, and to, and to, and to listen to the worship team and to have fellowship and to study your word. Thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. And Father, I want to I want to pray for anyone who's here this morning and they don't have a relationship with you, Lord. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you make yourself known to them. If that is you this morning, please know that God loves you, that he desires to have a relationship with you, and please know that you are welcome here at Firewheel. And Father, for our brothers and sisters here, Lord, I pray for unity in our congregation, in our marriages, in our homes. I pray for um, in our workplaces, God, that other people would see the light in us, Lord, through our words and through our actions. I pray, Father, that the purpose of Firewell Bible Fellowship is pleasing to you and that your name would be glorified through it. And I pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, guys, I want to thank you uh, for joining us this morning, and I also want to thank the elders for allowing me to be able to get up here today and share the word of the Lord with you. I always consider it a privilege and an opportunity anytime I get to do this. I will be available after the service to speak with you if you so desire. Now, I do wish you all a blessed and joyful Sunday, regardless of what happens in the Cowboy game. And but let me say the following benediction over you as we are dismissed today. May the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you 
And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gift and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless.